AFI Backstage Stories Well, hello there, and welcome back to Artsy Fartsy Immigrants, guys. This is your host, Jordan, and I'm still recording from home. It is a Saturday morning, a little bit rainy outside, and I bet some of you guys are probably going crazy. Um, Amidst this corona craziness, I wanted to try and bring you some interesting stories from my childhood to keep you entertained while we... Sit on our sit on our phones and lay around on the rugs and try to keep ourselves from going crazy. Um, they have locked down Munich, so hopefully you've got some groceries to last you for a while. Although the stores will be open and uh, you can go out for walks, so at least you can do that. Get some fresh air. Keep your head clear. Um, the last story that I brought you was about the first time that I got arrested when we robbed that chip truck and the kid shot the school and everything. And I, I love that story. It was a learning moment for me, but apparently not enough because I wanted to tell you guys today about the second time that I got arrested. Um, so after the first arrest, I was I was around 16 years old and um, maybe I'll do another episode on on the the months of uh, community service that I had to do because that's that's a really fun time as well. but I had just turned 17, I think it was the next spring or summer of the next year. So I was 17 now, and I had served all my time, the charges were dropped, and I was basically just going to high school and, and uh, you know, things had returned to to normalcy for the most part. And there was one evening I was hanging out with some older friends, um, so these guys, there was no one from the old group in this group. I was the youngest. I was 17. And I think most of the guys I was hanging out with at this point were closer to 20, maybe 19, 20, 21. Um, there was my friend James and his cousin, who's also named James. I'll try to make those uh, two people distinct later in the story. And I think my friend Jesse, um, there might have been another guy with us, but I can't remember right now. So James, James, and Jesse and Jordan, the JJJJJ crew. I hope the other guy that was with us was named Josh. So then we, know. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was one evening and you know, it's still this small town mentality. There's not, there's nothing to do. So of course you, you just go drinking or you do drugs or something. So I was with these older guys and I was really very close with, um, with my friend James. He was my drummer in in my first band. Um, he went to the same school as me and I will have to refer to his cousin as James too, because I didn't know him as well. But anyway, I was with James one and we were at his house and it was maybe two miles away from where I lived on this, uh, really small interstate where you could travel from my town to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I forgot. I can't believe right now in this moment, I can't remember the name. Highway 45. So uh, you would take Highway 2, this small street from my house to 45, cross that highway, and then you'd get to this road where James lived with his family. And um, 
we were hanging out near his house in these, um, basically near this field. Okay, we were some small town country boys. We were, we had basically the trunk open of the car where there was music playing. It was like, give me the bed, boys, and free my soul. It was really one of those moments. And they were all drinking beer. And uh, what's funny is actually I didn't drink that night at all, which is perfect um, for, for reasons you'll see later. But uh, I'm surprised that I didn't. I mean, I was trying to impress some of these older guys. I was trying to like be in with them, but I didn't drink. So we were all, you know, hanging out there. They're drinking beers and stuff. And just across the street from this field was a house that we called the Bat House. Now, we called it the Bat House because it was this old, dark very spooky, decrepit, abandoned house um, that you, people would often break into or, you know, most of the doors and windows were open anyway. So you could just walk in there. And um, what's funny is my, I wonder if my fascination for ghosts and ghost stories um, maybe was amplified by visiting this house, but either way, people went in there because bats would live in there and because they were redneck people, they would try and chase down the bats. And we, you know, we, we were, we had this uh, kind of, uh, maybe misplaced energy and decided to bring our beers and go into the, go into the bat house and look for a bat. And, uh, we were all smoking cigarettes and went into the house and, okay, just imagine like the most stereotypical old, dirty, abandoned, dusty house that you can think of. I mean, no one had lived in this thing for probably decades. It was all dark and brown and black, and there was no furniture, and wood was falling apart, and everything was just so thin and and crusty, and it was really spooky. And I remember, I think there actually was a bat in the house that someone tried to smack with a broomstick. Again, not my proudest moments. And we, I think we found the bat or chased it or something. Anyway, after a little while, we just left the house. So, you know, I don't know if someone had maybe left some beer bottles behind or maybe put out their cigarettes on the floor or something. It's all likely, it's all possible. But we left the house and then we went back to the car and we decided that we were going to go back to James's house, which was just down the road. I think we had two cars because I rode with somebody not James, but I rode with somebody back to his house and we were waiting for them. And then we just waited in his parking, uh, at the parking space in front of his house for like 10 or 15 minutes. And he just wasn't coming back. And uh, the space that we were at was maybe a mile away, maybe just two kilometers or something. So we're just waiting and waiting. So I call him, he said, Hey, there's, there's some people here. These like these drunk rednecks, they're being aggressive with us. We're just trying to explain, you know, why we were around the house, why we, we're here in this field. We're just trying to solve everything. You know, they, they maybe their family owns this space or they don't like that we're here. You know, people in this town also, they would always be drunk or always on drugs or something around this time of the year. And, you know, looking for something to do, looking for some place to put this, you know, testosterone boredom, this masculine boredom, and just maybe they wanted to fight, you know, who knows? And they, everyone wanted to shoot their guns off and shoot fireworks. And it's a weird time. Um, but anyway, they... Uh, finally came back to the house and it seemed like everything was fine. They were like, yeah, these guys were being assholes. They were just aggressive with us, but they, they left. So he drove in and then all of us guys, uh, went, went into, um, 
uh, James's house and his living, his living room was one of my favorite, um, places I've ever been into ever. It's still one of my favorite homes. His, his parents were such sweet, kind, intelligent people. And they, they really decorated this home in a beautiful, uh, very welcoming way. It was, they had all these sofas. They had maybe four different sofas and they were all positioned around the living room. It was a big room. They had a piano in there. Um, his mom was very crafty. There was like really nice handmade pottery and vases and like rope textiles and, and, and glass, uh, handmade glass designs and things. And it was so nice and handmade and warm in that house. And we all got in, we all piled in on the floors and on the sofas and put on a movie, I think. And we just decided to try and uh, fall asleep. Now here's where it gets interesting because somewhere maybe towards the middle of the night, one of the more drunk friends wakes up and says to the to the group, um, guys, I'm really scared that we burned that house down. And me and James were, I, I was sober and James was, I think he was also sober by this time too. And so we said, well, I mean, if you're really worried about it, James and I will just go drive down there and check it out. So keep in mind, when he brings this up, this had been hours since we had been inside the house. And so we get in the truck and we drive down the street and we look at the house, we park and we look at the house for a good five minutes and there was no smoke, nothing. There was no sign that anything was going on hours after we had been there. So we thought, okay, he was, it was just an irrational fear and, uh, or even a rational fear. Maybe we, you know, he thought we did. So we came back, everything was calm and cool and we, we slept peacefully um, I went home the next day and um, I think sometime around lunch the next day, James one gave me a call and he said, Hey man, that house burned down to the ground last night. It burned down to the earth. There's nothing left anymore. And my heart just sank into my chest and I could not believe this. And he said that probably the police were going to be talking with them soon and trying to figure out what's going on and, and that I should expect to have to deal with this again. And I mean, the last thing that I wanted to deal with was the police after going through this whole ordeal and putting my family through this whole ordeal of being so reckless and immature and stealing all this fucking potato chips. So I was really scared and I really wanted it to go away. And, um, at first, I, we had actually made an agreement, the older guys and me, to to say that I had never even been there because, first off, I, I didn't, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I was in the house, but I, I wasn't drinking and I threw my cigarettes outside and I didn't bother anybody and they were just trying to protect me and I really appreciate that. Maybe it wasn't the best thing to do, but for me in the moment, it was very cool and it was a really nice relief to think maybe I wouldn't even be involved. So the, the guys, um, eventually were, you know, getting called into the police station and the story was going to be that I wasn't even there. So I would just hear about it later. And I think it still took another day or two. Um, and then the evening that I got called is one of my favorite memories. Cause it was so, <laughs> it's so like a movie and it's a really good, um, it's a very good picture of just how small this town was. Um, I was going on kind of a friend date with these two girls from school. Now, actually, I was secretly in love with both of these girls and would totally have <laughs> married them 
instantly at 17. I was so in love with them. There's this girl, Kaylee, who I'm still friends with, and this girl, Sydney, who actually ended up marrying someone in my distant family, someone who's also a prince. But anyway, um, I was really, really into these girls, and they were also my friends, and we went as a, as a trio to the cinema, and I forgot what we were going to watch. I don't know if it was like Juno or Observe and Report or something around that 2007 era. And we sat down in the cinema and I was really excited. I had, you know, one girl on my left, one girl on my right. And I thought, well, you know, there's a lot worse places I could be in right now. And then my phone rang and I had saved the phone number from the police station and I knew that the police were calling. And so the commercials and the previews were starting and I was like, fuck, fuck. So I took the phone out into the hallway and I answered it. And the sheriff was so relaxed. It was so crazy. He was like, oh, uh, well, hi there, Jordan. Uh, hope I'm not disturbing you. And I was like, oh, no, sir, of course not. Um, is there anything I can help you with? Is uh, what's Can I ask why you're calling? Oh, we just uh, uh, wanted to see if you want to come on down here to the station and have a little chat with us. It seems um just want to make sure we got our story clear about uh what you may or may not have uh, been, a, been a part of. Just want to have a little chat with you. Why don't you just come on down to the station? And the balls on me at this moment, because I looked at those two girls that I was so in love with and this movie that I really wanted to see, and my fucking idiot ass said, um, uh, actually, um, it's actually not the best time. Would it be okay if I, because I just sat down for a movie, and would it be okay if I came by to the station just as soon as it's over? And he was so, he was so calm and collective and he was like, oh, actually, Mr. Prince, I, I think it's just better if you just take a rain check with your pals and come on down to the station now. And I was like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I, uh, I had to go in and tell the girls, I'm so sorry. I have to leave. I have to go to the police station. They, they're confusing something. They're confusing something I did. It's probably nothing. I have to go down there. So they were like, oh, Okay. I went out to the, uh, to the, my, my car and immediately I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm so sorry. I went to this house and I, I think it burned down and they think I did it, but I didn't do it. And I'm so sorry. And then, you know, she was really a rock for me in that moment. She was like, just leave your phone in your car, leave your, leave everything in your car. Just take your keys, lock it up, make sure they don't take anything from you. Just go in there and be quiet until we're there. And I was like, all right. So I sat in the police station once again. My dad had to leave work. He was working out of town. He had to drive in. He was pissed, of course. And then uh, my mom was there and she was concerned about maybe how much I was was or was not involved. And anyway, it was all horseshit. And they, they I'm, I see two of the older guys come out of the interrogation room and they're crying their eyes out. I was like, what the fuck, man? I thought we were cool here. Now you're, now you're crying. Now everything's like a big show. You're worried that you burn the house down. And then you put me in the story and man, oh, I was just really mad that I was basically going to fuck up with my parents again. And yeah, so the sheriff takes me in the office with my parents. And, uh, I remember the most like backcountry thing he ever said. Uh, he wanted, he was basically trying to say, you should really get new friends. But he said, uh, you ought to get you some new running buddies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he just asked me questions. He was like, you know, um, you know, were you there? What was the story? What happened? I explained everything to him. And the cool thing was, what I do appreciate from these guys 
was that he asked me if I was drinking and I said no. And he said, well, that's cool. Everyone else also said you were not drinking. And I was like, well, thank God my parents at least heard that, that I wasn't like some 17 year old out there, you know, getting hammered and doing all this shit. Um, anyway, cause I mean, they were really conservative at the time and I, you know, they wouldn't have liked that anyway. So that was just one less thing I had to worry about. At least I hadn't drank. And the interesting thing here, this, this is really for me, the, the part of the story that keeps it in my memory more than just, you know, some kids may have burned a house down. So remember those guys who were aggressively bullying my friend back at the house? Well, in this interrogation, the sheriff, who, by the way, put his boots up on the desk and smoked a cigarette out of the window, all true, he lifted up this empty whiskey jug. So the police had gone into the house and found this this empty whiskey glass jug, like a big gallon jug of whiskey. And he was like, did this belong to you guys? And I was like, absolutely not. And it didn't. We only had these, I remember we had these stupid Smirnoff ice, and I don't even remember why they didn't have normal beer, but... They had this, and I was like, no, 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 we didn't have a big jug of whiskey. And he was really pushing, like, are you sure? You're definitely sure you didn't have this? And I was like, absolutely not. There wasn't, we didn't have this. And so we kind of developed a bit of a story, or in my case, kind of a conspiracy about maybe these redneck guys who were really wasted and really aggressive saw an opportunity to implement something onto us. Maybe James said something that they didn't like. Maybe they said something to anger him or push him or something. I think they went into the house after us, after seeing that we had gone in, looked around to see what we had done, probably smoking cigarettes too, probably not putting them out properly, probably swigging from this whiskey jug, leaving it all behind, and either purposefully setting curtains on fire or setting some of the old paper, old paper in there or something on fire, or it was an accident from their part and it all got put on us because somebody might have seen us around that time. I mean, okay, we shouldn't have gone in the house. We shouldn't have been smoking in there anyway. And we shouldn't, none of, I mean, none of this should have happened. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we did anything right, but we shouldn't have been there. But I really don't think we burned that house down because hours later we investigated. Hours later we looked at it and there was no smoke. And our theory is that these redneck guys went in there after us and either did it on purpose or did it on accident and it got put on us. So, um, yeah, so thankfully the owner of the house, thankfully no one was inside and the owner of the house, um, didn't charge us with, um, arsony, arson, arson. And I was really glad for that. We all had to pay a fee. I think there was five or six of us and we all had to pay a thousand bucks, which as a 17 year old, I did not have. And my parents were not going to give me. So, which was kind of cool. I mean, you know, I I deserved it in a way. I, I worked really hard that summer and saved up the money and paid it off. James too was already working uh, as a, he was like a chemical engineer or something. He was already working in the field. So he paid it off the same day that they asked for it. I was really jealous of that, but yeah, that was the second time I got arrested. Um, again, you know, never in handcuffs, just, you know, read the rights and stuff and had to make some bail and stuff. First time was a bit more serious. It was a bit more like, you know, theft and the company was pressing charges. This time was like an old man owned house and it got burned down. And, um, I regret that it happened, but at the same time, kind of a cool story, 
uh, for, to have and to learn from. And I enjoy the conspiracy part of it because it keeps it interesting for me. If we were just rednecks who burned a house down, it wouldn't be as cool. All right, guys, I really appreciate you listening. And I hope you enjoyed that story. And I hope to bring you some really great content soon. Uh, Mo and I are going to do some new, um, some joint episodes during this crisis and try and bring you a lot of interesting content. Um, we love that you're listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, um, if you like what you hear, please go to uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast, if it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, and uh, give, us a, give us a nice review or, a, um, or rate us. And, uh, you know, even just telling a friend about it really gets the word out. And we really appreciate that a lot. And uh, probably there's some listeners out there who are in quarantine in a different country and would love to uh, hear some of the great uh, interviews that we've had. So thank you so much for listening and stay safe out there and wash your hands. And we'll talk to you soon. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Batscheider, produziert für M94.5.